In 2004, it's been some 13 years ago now, 2004, Houston megachurch leader Joel Osteen published a book. The book was entitled, Your Best Life Now, Seven Steps to Reaching Your Full Potential. Now that book, it was released, it became a very big success, it went to number one, actually number one on the bestseller list. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for some 200 weeks, just short of four years on that list. It by itself sold over 4 million copies. Now, that's not counting the sales of the Your Best Life Now study guide, Your Best Life Now daily devotional, Your Best Life Now daily calendar, and Your Best Life Now board game. That's a true story. You can go on Amazon. You can find that board game. I guess nobody ever loses if you play that game. But in this book, in his book, he gives seven steps, what it would be a formula to live your best life now. Now, I'm going to save you the time and save you the money. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what those steps are. Listen to these seven steps. His seven steps for leading to live your best life now. The first step is this. Enlarge your vision. Expect God to make you successful. Expect God to make you successful. Now remember, this is the book that he says he expects God's favor to give him the best spot in the parking lot. That's what it says in this book. Now the second step, develop a healthy self-image. In this chapter, Sarah, if you remember Abraham's wife, she got pregnant beyond her childbearing years, not because of some great miracle of God, but because she was able to see her potential, that she was able to see herself as God sees her. Third thing, discover the power of your thoughts and words. That's the third step. Really, it's the, po- the power of positive thought and confession. It's the word faith heresy that we see so often today. And he says in this chapter, I am what I am today because of what I believed of myself yesterday. Fourth step, let go of the past. Fifth step, find strength through adversity. Sixth step, live to give. I think he means give to him, but he says live to give. And then the seventh step is is this. Listen to this. The seventh step to leading your best life now is to very simply choose to be happy. Just choose to be happy. He says this in that chapter. If you want a new car, be happy and wash the car that you have. He says, if if you want a bigger house, be happy and take care of the house that you have now. And he says, God will see that and God will bless that and God will respond. You'll get a new car and a bigger house. Now, I was thinking about that. I guess your best, best life now includes new cars and bigger houses. On page 306, it says this. And following these seven steps... God will take you to a place you've never dreamed of and you will be living your best life now. I'm going to make a confession to you. I'm going to tell you the truth this morning. I want you to to hear me this morning. I want to lead the best life that I can lead. I want to live 
the best life possible. It's not exclusive to him. I want to lead that type of life. I want to live in that type of existence. I don't, I don't want to be some guy who just endures life. Look around today. People are just enduring life. I don't want to be a guy that just moves through life and pays bills and goes through the milestones and, and just somehow gets by in life. No, I want to be a person that, that jumps out of bed in the morning, that has a purpose that day, an eternal purpose that that truly matters. I want to tell you, I want to see God's hand at work. I want to see God move in my home, and I want to see him move in my kids, and I want to see him move in my church. I truly do want to live the best life I can now. Is there really a formula for that? Is there a way to do that? Is there really a step or are there some steps that I could take? If, if, if so, what is the key to living that type of life? Listen to me this morning. I'll not make you wait till the end of the message. Listen very carefully today. Hear this. Here it is, the greatest advice that I could give you. The key, and I'm going to tell you it's the biblical key, not that key, but the, the key to living your best life now the key to God blessing your marriage and blessing your home and blessing your work, the, the key to being able to use your days for something that matters, to point to the glory of a living God, the key to living that kind of life, here it is. Listen very carefully. At all times and at all turns and at all cost, obey God. Did you hear me? It's a, it's a matter of obedience at all turns, at all times, and at all costs, obey God. Friends, it's a matter of obedience. People sit there and they hear that. Well, that's not very flashy. I thought I was going to get beat up in the first service when I said all that. That's not very exciting. We're not going to sell $4 million telling people to be obedient to God. I want to tell you, the truth is most people aren't going to embrace it. Most people aren't willing to do it. And they're not going to embrace this idea of obedience. And I'll just tell you, look around today. That's why we're going through life. And life is so mundane. That's why it's so mediocre today. That's why we lead messed up lives today. At all times. And at every turn. And at all costs. Obey God. It's all about obedience. Today we're in our fourth message here in this section of verses entitled Instructions for Would-Be Disciples. The fourth part, the fourth installment in our Instructions for Would-Be Disciples. We're here in Luke chapter 17. We're going to look at verses today, 7 through 10. Luke chapter 17, today verses 7 through 10. Again, the fourth part of Instructions for Would-Be Disciples. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's Word. Beginning here in the seventh verse. Jesus is speaking. He says this. Which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he is coming from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourselves and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward you may eat and drink. 
He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which you are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your grace and your mercy and your kindness. I'm thankful for love that's eternal from everlasting to everlasting. Because it is in that love and due to that grace and that mercy that we have our Savior, Jesus. So I come today and I praise my Savior's name, Jesus. I exalt the name of Jesus. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for the sacrifice, the redemption It's offered to us through Jesus. I come now and I pray thanking you for a church where our little kids learn the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that in those little hearts and those little minds that seeds are planted and seeds will grow and they will rise up out of this church, warriors for the cause of Jesus Christ. I come now and I pray for parents in this room and for moms and for dads. They would embrace your truth and they would lead according to your directing. We would have homes that that see and they seek Jesus Christ, the center of them. I come now and I pray for your church. I pray that you would move mightily in and through your church. Lord, I know that all this is going to come and we have a, a new and a renewed understanding of obedience. Impress that upon us today. Lord, I pray for any in this room that doesn't know you, that in the preaching of your word and the proclaiming of the gospel today, they might put their faith in Jesus. Lord, we submit this to you. We lay it at your feet. We pray that you're glorified through it. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So far in our Lord's instructions for would-be disciples, if you remember, he has talked about holding the high standard of God's word. And we see there that we cannot compromise On God's word. Any distortion in that, any deviation from that, and it messes up the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why that's imperative. That's why it's a big deal. We have to uphold the high standard of God's word. He has told his apostles that, he is teaching his disciples that. Then, after talking about the high standard of God's word, he then talks about living out the high standard of Christ's forgiveness. He says as his disciples that we are to forgive and we're to be generous in offering that forgiveness. We're to be quick in offering that forgiveness. And he shows us there, there really is no limit to how many times we should forgive. Well, in the midst of that, in the midst of those two high standards, I believe these apostles, these disciples, become overwhelmed by the hard truths about following Jesus. I believe they see the high standard required to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and they have become overwhelmed. And so they're being overwhelmed. They cry out, increase our faith. Basically say, we're not going to make it. It's not in us. Increase our faith. We saw last week, it literally translates, we are persuaded, but help us be more persuaded. Lord, we're persuaded, oh, but Lord, help us be all the more persuaded, increase our faith. Doesn't that sound like us? 
I'm persuaded, oh, but that I would be more persuaded. I'm resolved, but oh, that I would be more resolved. I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. Jesus says in the sixth verse there, he responds to their cry, and he says, if you had faith, like a speck. He uses the example of a mustard seed. He says, if you had faith like a grain, a speck, a a flick of a mustard seed, if you had a small, insignificant amount of faith such as that, if you possess that, he says, you would see the impossible happen. And that's really what the sixth verse says. If you you had faith like that, a, a grain of a mustard seed, just that, you would see the impossible happen. And then Jesus transfers and he goes into our verses today. He transitions into these verses. And today as we see our verses, and I want you to be aware of this, see this, Jesus today is going to wed faith and obedience together. That's what's going to happen in our verses. That's what we're going to see in this response. Today Jesus is going to wed faith and obedience together. Jesus is going to show us here, it's not more faith that you need, it's that you would operate on the faith that you possess. That's what obedience is. They say, oh, that we would have more faith. He's going to show them it's not more faith that you need. An insignificant amount would do impossible things. It's that you would operate in the faith that you have. Again, that's obedience. You see, friend, obedience is the result of faith. Obedience is what comes out of our faith. When you see God and you know God and you trust God, obedience is the result. It is the product of our faith. And I'll just tell you today, if you show me a person with great obedience, you show me a person, they say, this is what God has said in my marriage and this is what God has said in my language and this is what God has said about my heart and my attitudes and my actions and I'm going to obey and I'm going to live according to what God has said. If you show me a person of great obedience, I promise you I'll show you a person of great faith. And In that person's life, you're going to see God's hand and you're going to see God move in that person's life. You show me a person of great obedience and I promise you, you'll see a person of great faith. But I want to tell you at the same time, no matter how much faith a person claims to have, and that's a popular thing today, oh, I have this great faith. No matter how much faith the person appears to have today, I want to tell you this, if they're not obedient to God, they truly do not possess faith and you will not see God's hand move in their life, not to the extent that he desires. Man, I got bumper stickers all over my car. I got verses everywhere. I'm a prophet on Facebook. Oh, if you get around me, I'm gonna spit some verses on top of you. Look at my faith. If they're not obedient to God, they possess no faith. God's not able to work in their life as he desires. And so today we're gonna see he weds faith and obedience. Obedience and faith. Let's see our verses. Let's see this. Verse seven starts off. And Jesus says, which of you? Now, he's going to paint a personal picture here. He wants him to understand. He uses a a personal illustration here. Which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep? Now, it's not about the work that they're doing. It's the fact that they are a slave and they're about the master's business. They're about the master's work. 
Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, when he has come in from the field, when that slave has come in, will say to him, come immediately and sit down and eat? Now see the picture he's painting here. The slave comes in. And the master says, when he comes in, come in here quickly and take off your sandals and take off your robe and, and you come over here and you recline at the supper table and you have supper here. Is this what happens? Verse eight. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourselves. Get out of those dirty clothes and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink. What happens here, and what what's the picture is of, the, the slave comes in, and he comes in, and he, he cleans up, and he changes clothes, and he goes and he cooks the master's supper, the master's food, and then he serves the master's food. And when the, when the master is satisfied, and only when the master is satisfied, then he will eat. That's the role of a slave. Verse nine. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? They knew how it was gonna work. He asked them a rhetorical question here. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? And then verse 10 is the verse of application, the verse of personal application. Look at verse 10. Jesus says this. So you too, so you also, so you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which ought to have, that which we ought to have done. Notice here in verse 10, they ask for faith but Jesus talks about obedience. They, oh, that we would have more faith. And Jesus turns the discussion and he talks about obedience. Okay, go with me this morning. In training his disciples, in training those who would lead the cause after Jesus was gone and, and, and to train them to take up such a vital mission, such a vital cause, he had to first settle some matters with these disciples. Now think about that for just a second. The Bible says Jesus is killed. He's crucified. He's put in the grave. He comes out of the grave. He's resurrected. He appears for 40 days. He makes many appearances and then he ascends to heaven. Well, he is in the process of training those and teaching those and equipping those who will take up the mission once he ascends. He goes, he goes to heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father, and these folks are gonna take up the mission of the church. They're gonna spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, with such a vital mission, he first had to settle some things for them before the mission. I wanna tell you it's the same for us today. To do what God's called you to do. I want to tell you, God's called you to do something. To do what God has gifted and built you to do. God has gifted you to do something. To live a life with a great purpose. Aren't you tired of just going through a day and going through a day and burning them up? To live a life of great purpose. To live, yes, our best life. We also have to settle some matters. 
And so just like he trains these guys, there's going to have to be some things that they settle for us to lead these kind of lives. There are some things we're going to have to settle. The first is this for his disciples. There is the matter of perception. The first thing to settle is the matter of perception. Clearly, to serve the cause of Jesus Christ, we must have the right perception. We must have the right perception. And that perception, how we are to see, is that God owes us Nothing. That's what Jesus is showing us here in these verses. The perception that we have to have is that God owes us nothing. He doesn't owe us a new car. He doesn't owe us a bigger house. He doesn't even owe us a chance to sit down and recline and eat at the supper table. God owes us nothing, but we owe him everything. That's the perception of a follower of Jesus Christ. He creates us. In fact, he creates all things and he does it in great power. He sustains us and he does it in the power and the might of his hand. When we rebel against him, a holy God, when we sin against him, it's through the blood of his own son, Jesus, that he offers us salvation in his grace and he owes us nothing, but we owe him everything. That's the mindset of a disciple. He owes us nothing. I owe him everything. That's the perception of a disciple of Jesus. Satan is the master deceiver. The Bible says he's the father of lies. He's the master manipulator. And ever since the start and continuing today, he takes the truth of God's word and he turns it upside down. That's what Satan does, and he's always done that. He takes the truth of what God has established, and he turns it upside down. And instead of us realizing that I am a ruined sinner, lost and headed for an eternity in hell, but for the grace of a loving and kind God, and he owes me nothing, but I owe him everything, instead of that, we've embraced this false gospel that it's all about us. And somehow God serves us and God exists to honor us. And it's about him blessing and and the book says pouring out favor upon us. And it's all about him glorifying us and it's a false gospel. Listen to me, we have to have the right perspective if we're gonna be his disciple. And that is the perspective that he owes me nothing and I owe him all things. So we have to settle We have to have the right perception. Second thing, we have to have the right perception, the right perspective. Second thing, we have to settle the matter of position. We have to settle the matter of position. Friend, get what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying here, now listen to this. When we join the ranks of the redeemed, we sink to the status of a slave. Do you understand? That's not a popular thing. That's not what's going to sell a bunch of books, but but that's what Jesus is saying here. By the grace of God, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we join the ranks of the redeemed, we sink to the status of a slave. You see, as a slave, we live not because of our righteousness, but we live because of the righteousness of the master. You see, as a slave, we work not our works, 
but we work the works of the master. As a slave, we denounce our worth, but we cry out with all we are the worth of the master. As a slave, we say, he is worthy, my Lord, my master. He alone is worthy of all praise and all glory and all honor. It's a matter of position. Today, in some circles, especially in America today, Christianity has become some kind of status. Christianity has become some kind of platform to get noticed. Christianity has become some way to become upwardly mobile and and the world would esteem the spirituality of people. People today like spiritual things. They like good thoughts. Now, they don't like Jesus Christ, but they'll embrace spiritual things. Well, Christianity has become some way to, to climb the ladder of human perception that we might even somehow be celebrities. Today, self-serving and self-promoting narcissists of every shade have filled our ranks. And I want to tell you today, you look around and survey the church today, rare is the woman or the man today that will say, oh, I am but a lowly slave, but let me point you to my master. The word unworthy here in the Greek says this. It's only used two times in the New Testament. It's also Using the gospel of Matthew, and don't get mad at me, this is what God says. Unworthy here translates of no profit. Worthless. That's what it says. And understand, he's not saying you're worthless, but he's saying that as far as his mission, the cause of redemption, you could add nothing to it. And when you do all the things that you ought to do, then you're just a worthless slave able to add nothing to the cause of redemption. So we settle the matter of perception, perspective. Then we settle, settle the matter of position. And the third thing, we have to settle the matter of performance. The matter of performance. Listen to verse 10 very carefully. So you too, speaking to us. So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Listen to that again. So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Hear this, hear Jesus. They come and they ask about faith. Oh, that you would increase our faith. They come and they ask about faith And he starts to talk about obedience. And he says to them, when you do all that you ought to have done, then you've just done what it is that you should have done. He says, when you fulfilled all the requirements, all the duties of a slave, it is then and it's only then that you've reached the status of just a lowly slave. Get this, Jesus is saying here, to his disciples very simply and very clearly as a disciple of Jesus Christ our call is to do what you ought to have done it's a call for obedience do what you ought to have done the Bible says apart from faith it's impossible to please God I want to tell you today and I'm going to make it very practical if you want to walk by faith brother and sister You're going to have to walk in obedience. 
and you want to be very practical here, if you want to have the best marriage that you could have, and you want to have a marriage that God, that God blesses and that God moves in, if you want to have that type of marriage, then you have to do what you ought. You have to do what God has said in his word. And husbands, you're going to have to love your wife as you love yourself, as Christ loved the church. Wives, you're going to have to, to honor him and you're going to have to submit to him, the Bible says, as the Lord. And I want to tell you today, if you want to raise the best kids ever and if you want to have the best home ever, then you're going to have to do as you ought. You're going to have to do what God has said in his word. And dad, father, you're going to have to lead in that household and you can't trust it to anybody else. And parents, you're going to have to push away the things of the world and you're going to have to train up a child in the way of the Lord that when he's old he will not depart from it. If you want to make the greatest impact with your life, Lord, I want to do something that matters. If you want to make that kind of impact, then you have to do as you ought and you have to do what God has said in his word. And if you want to see God move in your home and in your heart and in your life and in your church, then we have to do as we ought. We have to do what God has said in his word. And yes, if you want to live your best life now, it comes down to obedience. You have to do as you ought. You have to live as God has directed in his word. It's a matter of obedience. I'd like my home to look like that. I'd like my heart to look like that. I'd like my church to look like that. Oh, I'd like to see that God move in my church, in my life, in my marriage, in my home. It's a matter of obedience. Friends, let me ask you a question. Think about this. Throughout Scripture, when has God always Think about that for just a second. When has he always moved? When has he done mighty works? When has he done marvelous and mighty things? And you look back across the, the annals of history, you look across the pages of scripture, when was it that God did tremendous things? Think about that. Noah, build an ark. Lord, it's never rained. Lord, it doesn't make any sense. Noah, build an ark. His obedience and faith was his salvation and his own family's salvation. Abraham, draw back the knife. Lord, this is my only son. This is the only heir that I have. Lord, we waited so long for him. I can't lose my son. Lord, it doesn't make any sense. Abraham, draw back the knife. Because of his obedience and faith, God says, indeed, I will greatly bless you. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Because of obedience, he's called the father of our faith. And we could go on and on, moving through the pages of scripture. Moses, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you will bring my people out of Egypt. Who am I, Lord? I'm slow of speech, I fail of speech. Lord, it doesn't make any sense. Who am I, Lord? Joshua. Walk around the, the fortified city. Walk around that wall. Six days, you need to walk around that wall. It doesn't make any sense. On the seventh day, make seven laps. And on the seventh lap, have the, the priests blow their trumpets and yell with a shout. It doesn't make any sense. And on and on I could go. Listen to me. Great movements of God came from great 
works acts of obedience. Jesus, go to the cross. Never sin, take on the sins of the world. No, no punishment earned, but be punished on the cruelty of the cross. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus, go to the cross. The Bible says, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling upon the ground. And he was saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Great movements of God come from great acts of obedience. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. This discourse on slaves, I think it's very interesting. The Bible in the book of Philippians talks about Jesus and it says that, that Jesus came as a slave. I'm not sure that's an image we want to embrace or we want to promote, but Jesus came as a slave. He humbled himself and came as a man. It says even as a, as a bond slave, a bond servant, he, he humbled himself, the Bible says, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, I want you to see the picture here. Friends, I want you to paint this picture. They nailed a servant. They nailed a slave to the cross. It was a slave's body that they wrapped in the grave clothes. They placed the slave's corpse there in that cold tomb. Friends, it was, a, it was a corpse, it was a dead body, it was a slave that they rolled the stone there from his borrowed grave. But I want you to see this, Jesus comes and he lives as a slave, enduring the, the mocking of mankind, the beating of mankind. He goes to the cross as a slave, he dies as a slave. They pull a slave's body off of the cross and they put it there in the grave. And he's buried in the tomb, a tomb of a slave. But I want to tell you, on Easter Sunday morning, when the stone rolls away and he walks out he may have went in a slave but he now stands as a king and I want to tell you the greatest act of God came at a great act of obedience the example is Jesus where a slave was laying our savior now stood the Bible says to the glory of God the father greatest act of God came in a great act of obedience. Don't you want your life to look like that? Don't you want your days to be spent like that? Wouldn't you like to belong to a church like that? Wouldn't you like to have a marriage like that? It all comes back to obedience. Examples, Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. And I hear this truth. I see this truth. And I try to walk this truth. I see it's costly. But I also see in the midst of it your glory. And in obedience, I see your faithfulness. In obedience, I see your wisdom. In obedience, when I can't understand it, I see your kindness. In obedience, when it makes no sense, I see your grace. 
So Lord, I pray, make me obedient. Forgive me where I've disobeyed. Forgive me when I've tried to have a position I didn't have. Forgive me when I held on to a perception that wasn't mine. Help me, help us to be obedient to you and to your word. Change our hearts, change our minds. Lord, I pray now that as you've spoken in your word that you continue to speak. Lord, I pray at this time of response, this time of invitation, I, I pray that you would freely move. I pray as, as your word does that it would convict us, that it would lead us and change us. I pray for some here that do not know Jesus Christ. That as they see the king of glory that comes and submits as a slave for our redemption, for their redemption, but has risen from the grave and exists as the reigning king, that they would love him, that they would put their faith in him and today they might be saved. Lord, I pray for us as Christians that we would submit as a bondservant to you the Lord, the Master, and we would take up your cause, that you'd be able to work through it and it would glorify your name. We tell you we love you. I'm thankful for a slave, Jesus, but I rejoice in a king, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.